For Canadians, paying with Interact Debit is synonymous with access to your own money. In 2018, Canadians made over 6 billion Interact Debit transactions. That's the equivalent of 160 per person. Interact Debit is accepted at nearly 500,000 businesses across Canada and growing. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quality Content on the 2020 Network presented by Interact. I'm your host, Alex Patterson. This Friday, May 3rd, is World Press Freedom Day. And on that day, journalists around the world mark the occasion by taking stock of the degree to which they and their colleagues are free to pursue and report on the truth, as well as pay tribute to journalists that have been jailed or even murdered in that pursuit. In Canada, thankfully, we don't have it so bad. Things could be better, and when it comes to the freedom of the press, it is always in our best interests to strive for better. But while Canadian journalists enjoy a comparatively high degree of freedom, their jobs are not without their challenges. You'd have to be living under a rock to not hear at least once a week that journalists are enemies of the people. They're not, by the way. And that narrative presents unique and new challenges for Canadian reporters. Just look at the mentions of any high-profile media figure on social media, particularly female journalists, and you'll get what I mean. And so to parse this media moment, I sat down with Sean McCarthy. His day job is to report on national business affairs for the Globe and Mail, but more to the point, he also serves as president of the Canadian Committee for World Press Freedom, the volunteer group of reporters and journalists advancing the cause of press freedom here in Canada. I've known Sean for a few years now, and don't let his no BS newsroom demeanor fool you. Sean cares deeply about these issues, and we talked openly about the pressures he and his colleagues face, how we can improve things in Canada, and what advice he has for young reporters. I think you'll enjoy it. And joining me in the studio, it is the national business correspondent for the Globe and Mail and the president of the Canadian Committee for World Press Freedom. It's Sean McCarthy. Sean, hi. Hey, how are you? I'm very good, and I'm very excited to be talking to you. Um, we're recording this uh, a week in advance, but when this goes live, uh, officially on Friday, May 3rd, it's World Press Freedom Day. And as the president of the Canadian Committee for World Press Freedom Day, like this is your week. This is sort of, uh, <laughs> this is this is the big celebration. This is it. We, we have a big luncheon on uh, Thursday. Uh, normally, we try to do it on Press Freedom Day, but Friday's a getaway day in Ottawa, so we'll be having our luncheon on Thursday, and it's it's uh, it's coming together very nicely, and a lot of uh, a lot of political people, a lot of people from the diplomatic community, um, you know, and and supporters of press freedom all across the city will be will be there, and uh, we appreciate the support for sure. It's a hot button issue right now, no doubt about it. Well, it's funny. I, I mean, when I when I ask you, I say it's 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 kind of a celebration, but that's also I'm not sure that that's the word though, right? That are are we we are obviously celebrating world press freedom, but it's more. Uh, there's a lot not to celebrate right now, um, and and it's it's more around awareness, and it's more around um, kind of highlighting this this weird and concerning moment that we are in, particularly with respect to the press. Does it feel that way to you? It does. I mean, we you know we still celebrate press freedom in in Canada and in North America, and I and I think in the Western world. To a, to a large degree. Nothing's perfect, and, and we would be the last ones to suggest it is. Um, certainly in the U.S., the uh, President Trump's 
you know, characterization of the media as enemies of the people, the mainstream media, um, is not helpful. And they, and they, we've seen that a bit here, you know, uh, the media elites as, uh, Doug Ford would, would have us, uh, branded and, and, you know, it's, it's an old populist trope that, uh, don't believe anything, uh, uh, you hear other than what I tell you. So um, definitely there are some, some concerning signs out there. Um, and, and then the whole um, advent and takeover really of, of uh, social media and what that has done to um, challenge the kind of media that I work for um, is, is an issue we're all still trying to figure out and grapple with and the spread of the use of those platforms for misinformation and disinformation, which, which calls into credibility, again, you know, anything you hear or read um, is, is part of the landscape now mm -hmm. that we're, we're trying to navigate. Well, let's, let's, um, let's go to what's at the heart of, of World Press Freedom Day. Um, uh, there, is a, there is an index that's yes. prepared every year by the um, RSF, the uh, Reporters Without Borders. Um, the World Press Freedom Index, it's it's based on the degree of freedom available to journalists in countries around the world. I think it currently lists 180 countries. Um, we'll get into the rankings in a minute, but at a very broad level, and just to educate me a little bit, what gets considered when you create those rankings. And I know not you specifically, but like in the creation of those rankings, what's weighed and what's considered? Right. So actually I, I did participate. Did you? Um, okay. My goodness. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, so, so when you and your colleagues create that index, what do you consider? I didn't create it. I answered questions on it on, in terms of the Canadian landscape. So, you know, uh, questions about, um, are you free to to report on government activities without constraint? Um, do you have libel laws and um, and um, terrorism laws and um, other kinds of government laws that that restrict what you can, how you criticize government? Um, do you have uh, supportive courts? Do you have a charter of rights and freedoms that embed media freedoms? Um, are, are police um, licensed to um, intervene and, and to chase, uh, keep uh, media away from events? Um, just right across the board, it's, it's more about, I would say, um, traditional definitions of freedom, which is government coercion or lack thereof. Right. Right. So, so then, if I map that onto sort of the the higher end, like the the more free countries at the top. So right now, um, number one is is Norway. Canada sits at number eighteen. Um, it's a super dumb question. Why aren't we ranked higher? The reason I ask that is because in you sort of listing those questions, I imagine the answer as a Canadian journalist to a lot of those questions is yes, right? Like, yes, so I have the freedom to, um, you know, report on government activity. Yes, I uh, that we have a charter of rights and freedoms, like those kinds of things. So at the top of the rankings, what's the, what's the margin of difference and why are we where we are in the rankings? Well, I can't speak to you know how free Norway is. Uh, I don't. I don't know how free Norway is. I can speak to where 
Canada um, needs improvement in our view. Um, right. You know, access to information. We just had the federal government um, redo. It's in the process right now of redoing access to information legislation that the information commissioner, um, let alone media organizations, have criticized as being um, not by far not sufficient to give the kind of access to information that we believe media should have and and other people who are interested in what government's doing. Um, protection of sources, you know, the courts until now, you know, the people have been forced to um, um, basically act as, as uh, arms of the police in investigations because they have to give up their notes and give up their sources, and that's, that's concerning. Um, we had a case, the, the winner of our Press Freedom Award last year was somebody who uh, was trying to report on protests in Newfoundland and was served with a, with a um, court order to, to vacate and, and disobeyed it and faced criminal charges. Um, so um, we have seen instances where police um, remove uh, reporters from the scene or bar them from the scene of accidents or, or demonstrations or what have you, and um, there's no recourse for the media. So it's, it's not a perfect landscape in Canada. I find it hard to believe it's a perfect landscape in Norway. I tend to believe perfection is, uh, is not something uh, attainable in this world, so, um, but I assume it's better than right. what we have. Yeah, I mean, rankings are a nice way to start a conversation. Right. Exactly. Um, they're 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 not as scientific as I think that they sometimes get passed off to be. But right. it does maybe raise we're a little more critical of uh, right. than the Norwegian journalists <laughs> who answered. I don't know. <laughs> they like to pretend to the world that everything's great in Norway, and we're a little more uh, pragmatic, maybe. So, do do you think that? I mean, we we are recording this literally a block away from Spark Street. We are or from Parliament Hill on Spark Street. We are in the definition of the Ottawa bubble. Um, we on the Twenty Twenty Network uh, have uh, fantastic reporters and um, uh, journalists on our shows all the time. We are exposed to uh, conversations around press freedom constantly. When we step outside of the Ottawa bubble. Um, do you think that everyday Canadians, do you think that they think about press freedom? Like, do, do you think that it's something that's on the radar or enters into their understanding of how the media in Canada operates? I think there's an expectation among Canadians that we have a free press in Canada. And Just as a given. As, that, a, that, as yeah. a given. And, and, and as an important, uh, and as an important value that they would, that they would want protect it. So yes, in in that broad sense, in the same way that if you ask people, you know, sh is is should we be protecting democracy or the right to vote or you know those those big ideals that we that we uh, cherish, I think are are well supported. But you get into the into the nitty gritty, and you know, I I I think that I think two things. One is that. You know, I think it's obvious probably that the average Canadian doesn't feel as passionately about our right to get information as, as we do. 
Um, and secondly, and I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, the credibility of the mainstream media these days is not high. Uh, when you look at polls, uh, we are, we are uh, a not a favored group. You know, I, I hate going to the movies and seeing the pack shoving microphones in front of the face of the poor, uh, wretched person who's gotten in trouble. Um, um, so I think in theory, Canadians support it. I think they like what you know, I think our readers at the Globe and Mail like what we produce and, and appreciate the job that we do. But um, again, I, I think that, you know, to be realistic, uh, nobody, nobody loves your freedom as much as you do. You've enjoyed that this occupation uh, for with the Globe and Mail now for 22 years. Yes. Uh, prior to that, uh, so first off, congratulations. Thank you. That's uh, that's no small accomplishment. Prior to that, you were with the Toronto Star and the Canadian Press. Um, that's a long career. Yes. A lot's changed in gray the industry. Hair. <laughs> like, <laughs> a lot's changed in the industry over time. Not just your not just your hair, the color of your hair. Um, you 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 mentioned off the top that there's a lot of things right now that are um, contributing factors to that environment of, of reducing trust um, and uh, raising levels of criticism of, of journalists in the mainstream media um, is what we're seeing right now. Is it same old, same old, or is this something new? I would say it's something new. Um, certainly the, you know, the challenge of social media and the platforms and the business model of the existing traditional media being eroded, um, is, is a, is a new challenge. But, um, you know, I, I'm certainly well aware of, of, uh, the history of our business where newspapers were partisan organs that fought viciously against one another and, and, uh, and, those who disagreed were considered traitors and seditious, and and so that that polarization and partisanship uh, that you sometimes see in the media, we you know, is is not new, um, and and I and and I don't think I I think we've probably achieved more freedom in the post Second World War era. Uh, than than we would have had before. I mean, there's a still on the books in Canada an official Secrets Act, I believe, uh, that was um, that was enforced far more vigorously in in previous days than it is now. Um, but it's it's still on the books. Um, so, you know, I, I I would say we in Canada the media operates in relative uh, freedom. Uh, to do our job, you know, uh, we can we can hammer the government day in and day out, and we still have access to to government documents and government records as required. Um, and and so, by and large, we're 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 fortunate that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talk about the Reporters Without Borders uh, um, compendium, and and you know. What is it? Sixty-three uh, reporters uh, killed mm-hmm. in in the line of duty uh, in the past year, two thousand eighteen. You know, uh, Mexico reporters routinely killed for doing their jobs. Uh, Russia thrown in jail. The number of reporters in jail in Turkey is, is stunning. So, um, certainly, when you compare yeah. to to those 
kinds of situations were, were in very great shape and, and very fortunate, but uh, we don't take it for granted. So because we are, we do enjoy a, a higher degree of freedom here for the press in Canada, um, I'm curious about how you and your colleagues and the people that you work with in your industry, how do you respond when there are those, they may not be threats obviously from, from the government, but certainly from readers, people on social media, maybe some of them are bots, maybe, maybe they're not, but there are threats of violence. There is extreme vitriol. There are on occasion, um, real intimidation and real life stakes, um, you know, just on a, on a human level, like how do you and the people in your industry and your colleagues, how do you cope with that? Well, it's, it's, and, and we've been bombarded with it through social media and that's for sure. And, and so you kind of, I do anyway on social media, I kind of, um, slough it off a little bit to be honest Do you, with do you, you yourself have a strategy? For, for dealing yeah, with my strategy the, is to ignore it as much as possible. Okay. I mean, yeah. really, um, yeah. I've been called an idiot. I've been called a you know a libtard. I've been called uh, you know a, you know somebody who's sticking up for the status quo from the other side. You know, so you know if if I don't expect uh, people to agree with me, um, I'd be in the wrong business if I did. But I mean, I'm a I'm a uh, as you note it, veteran, um, white male, um, mm -hmm. women in, in, um, our business are, have it a lot worse are subject to far more abuse, I, I believe on social media in particular, um, security in, in the newsrooms is tighter. I mean, uh, you, you know, I, I, we share offices with CTV and you can't just walk into a, to an office anymore. Is that the case? Everything's locked and you need to knock on the door and be, and the, the uh, somebody has to unlock it and let you yeah. in. And one of the reasons for that is that people would come in and berate reporters. Um, you know, I don't, we have not seen the level of violence. I mean, the, the horrible, horrible uh, situation in Maryland, where where the guy came into the uh, newsroom in Annapolis and and murdered people based on some twisted political agenda. Um, we have not seen, but you know, it's something that I it's something that we worry about. I think as as uh, the populist on both the right and left see us as the enemy um, because we're not espousing the point of view that, that they that they hold dearly. So um, I, I, I think that um, we need to be clear-eyed about the risks mm -hmm. while not getting bogged down or intimidated by the by the threats and and certainly there's you know I mean we have lawyers on staff not on staff but on retainer yeah um, and uh, lots of lots of work for media lawyers in this country no shortage of work for media lawyers in this country and and I assume that's always going to be the case because you there's no freedom is absolute and it's, you're always testing the limits of it well it's interesting I mean the uh, I started my career at the the CBC, um, and I've spent some time around newsrooms. And you know, the idea of like, well, people on the right are angry, and people on the left are angry. Therefore, we must be doing something right, um, which means we're getting close to the truth. I worry now that because of how polarized we are, and because of how far those um, 
those those fringes are, um, it, it's something to actively be almost a little bit more worried about or a little bit more attentive to. And I'm wondering, does that at all enter into how you do your day-to-day job? Like, do you pay attention to the fringes, right? Do you, do you understand the environment within which you are now doing your job as a, a, a journalist and as someone that works in the mainstream press? Yes. I, I like to think I pay attention to the fringes because they're part of the conversation and, right. and they're usually the loudest part of the conversation, frankly. I mean, sometimes I pay, I think we pay far too much attention to the fringes um, because, you know, most, most people are out, you know, going to work, coming home, taking their kids to swimming or hockey or whatever. And, and aren't barking at me uh, on social media all the time or, or you know, protesting uh, against uh, this or that or the other thing. I think it's valuable to have the fringes, uh, but, I, but I, I think we need, again, I think we need to be uh, conscious of the role that they play and that they speak for often a minority uh, despite wanting to uh, be self-anointed as a spokesperson for a much larger group than they probably are, and and so um, we we need to we need to use judgment as we always have as as journalists as to who it is we're speaking to, who they represent, and who's not part of the conversation. So as you mentioned, you're hosting your lunch on on May the second uh, on Thursday this year. That's the day before World Press Freedom Day. Um, every year, your group, the Canadian Committee for World Press Freedom, uh, gives out an award to a journalist who. Uh, has either been arrested or has faced some form of obstacles or oppression or faced real threats uh, along their line of of, of reporting. Um, I know you can't tell me who won this year, but what can you tell me about this year's winner? I guess I can tell you that it's it's a pretty classic case of okay. of, uh, of journalistic. Um, um, digging and and perseverance and working against a system that did not want to let its secrets out um, and you know despite access to information uh, requests and 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 um, appeals you know had to keep coming back and back and back and you know really active on the part of a on the part of a government in this case really active effort at at uh, throwing up you know, curtains and and stone walls in front of in front of this reporter, um, who who ended up um, publishing a series of stories that had a, a pretty significant impact on the community. Uh, in this case, he lives in, and and so uh, you know, it's um, it's again, I I think a classic journalistic story, as, as many of them are. I mean, last year it was Justin Brake who was uh, working for a small uh, website publication in Newfoundland, now at uh, APTN, the Aboriginal TV network. And he was uh, trying to cover a protest and got, uh, as I mentioned earlier, charged with criminal uh, violation of a court order. So, you know, you, you, reporters need to be where the stories are. And sometimes... You know, the the courts or the the authorities don't think we should be there, and we have to make a decision. And sometimes we have to take our lumps if, you know, it's what we do is hanging in there despite being told to go away. Why is it important for you um, 
to be involved with the Canadian Committee for World Press Freedom. What is, I mean, you've had a long career. You've uh, worked uh, in a number of different outlets, most notably the Global Mail, as we've said. Um, you got a lot on your plate. You're a busy reporter. You're, uh, you're in demand. Um, what does it mean for you to be working on a, with this group and, and in the role that you are? I got into journalism in the, in the late, well, in the early 80s, but I decided to get into journalism in the 70s in the post-Watergate era. And, you know, for me, that that was a pretty big moment for journalism, right? I mean, that was, you know, not just Watergate, but the Pentagon Papers that that, uh, brought in the open uh, the U.S. government's, and and I'm from the States, the U.S. government's uh, actions in Vietnam. So it was pretty much a high point for journalism, really, in terms of in terms of impact. And uh, my father had been a, a, a journalist. And, you know, I, I just I just believe that uh, that what we do is important. And uh, that might sound self-serving. Uh, and, and I recognize that it's a pretty flawed bunch of people that we are. And, and there's all, we could have a whole nother conversation about the shortcomings of Canadian journalism, and I'd be happy to participate in it. <laughs> But, um, you know, it's a human it'll organization. It'll be a mini-series. Yeah, yeah, it'll be yeah. a mini-series. But, um, you know, we do the best we can. It's it's the first draft of history, as somebody once said, and and it's important. And if it's not around, people get away with stuff they shouldn't be getting away with. And uh, I, I have uh, a huge amount of pride in the work that the Globe and Mail has been, has been doing over the last – well, since I really joined, but especially in the last couple of years, I think we've we've really been uh, aggressive in in reporting on issues of important social consequence. Um, and and you know, if if people start turning down the screws and making it more difficult, then I think society suffers. Last question for you here: You also teach occasionally. I do. Uh, at Carlton. At Carlton, yeah. At Carlton, at the yeah. journalism program. Um, what what kind of conversations are you having with young journalists who take see within full view the disruptions to the business model, the uh, the vitriol that's that that a lot of uh, young journalists and, and as you particularly said, women and uh, people of color, they're. I got to think that this this next generation um, who are coming into it are coming into it with their eyes wide open and still going into it anyway. So I'm just curious about the kinds of conversations you have with people who want to enter this industry now. I I, I love teaching. I love teaching at Carlton, and and uh, as you said, I'm I'm you know I have a full time job. I do this committee work, but uh, the, the Carlton. The conversations I have with the students at Carleton are some of the most rewarding I, I have, and they are um, hugely committed. Um, they're very worried about their future, and 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 that's to do with the business model. You know, all the other stuff that we talked about, they can take it. They, they are they are gung ho to take pretty on, resilient. Eh? They are gung ho to take on all of the. Stuff and abuse that will be thrown at them in this in this business. They're they're smart and they're um, it's it's an impressive group that I've taught a couple of classes now. Um, so just and do you think it's because they've been raised in it? Right? Is it is it that they are kind of digitally native? I think is the 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 phrase. 
They are. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's right. And and uh, but I think that they're also budding journalists, and that's what we do. Right. You know. Right. So you, you better have thick skin if you're gonna. You know, have your name out there day in and day out, or or your face, especially on television, uh, day in and day out. You better have thick skin. No, I, I think they're yes, they are um, digitally native, but I, I think they are journalists, right? And and will many of them that I've taught will make great journalists if if the jobs are there, and that's that's. So it's that's more the a business huge model. concern. Yeah. It's the business model. That, that's what scares people most, I think, especially after you spent four years. You know, some of them have taught masters and I've caught, taught the undergrad and you spent four years and they were getting really tired of being told that, you know, yeah, I know, but there's not a lot of jobs out there. But So is the, is the message, obviously, you're, you want to teach fundamentals. You want to uh, teach those sort of foundational planks of um, uh, what should underpin a, a, a journalist's skill set. Um, but I am just sort of, you know, academically, I'm kind of interested in what the, what you were preparing students for in terms of the environment that they're entering into. Um, and, and it, it can't just simply be like, yeah, well, it, maybe it's there, maybe it's not. So it, it, do you find that you are also teaching and encouraging skills that are more like entrepreneurial, like you're encouraging young journalists to go out and find their platform and create their own platforms. Well, I, 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 clearly I should be. No, it's, but, <laughs> but it's an um, interesting question but, about like where the environment, the environment that you're prepping these young people for for entering. A lot of them, a lot of them have been doing a lot of freelance work when yeah. when they're there. Um, I think, to be honest with you, most of them. Would would like a paying job? I think that's I think that is the creed occur of of the millennial generation. You know, I'm tired of going from from contract to contract. Somebody give me a job where I have some stability and and some benefits would be nice. You know, so sure they need to be entrepreneurial. And I when you know when I started out, I was I freelanced for a couple of different organizations and then went back to school and did the journalism degree and. Um, you know, I, even after I was working full time, I freelanced for some different organizations to spread my wings a little bit. So, I mean, it's something that all young people need to do. Um, and there are a lot of, um, startup media organizations that you can work for, you know, and, and so there, there are, there are journalism jobs out there that are not the traditional, um, you know, Globe and Mail, CBC, even, uh, you know, the weekly, well, I was going to say Guelph Mercury, but that's gone. I'm from Guelph and I, it was a real bummer when the Guelph Mercury yeah. closed down. Yeah. That was a, it was a bad day. But there are some, th there are some startups that have replaced them, but they, but the pay is not good often and, and the working conditions are not good often. So, you know, everybody, I think really, especially as you start getting older and start thinking about, you know, having a family, Everybody wants a bit of uh, stability and a decent income. I don't think that's too much to ask to be a journalist, to expect to have a, a middle class, what we like to think of as a middle class lifestyle in this country. Well, real last question for you then. <laughs> and and I want to go back to um, the, you know, for if you and I are having this conversation again next year um, and Canada has moved up the rankings 
um, uh, in in its in its press freedom on the press freedom index, what's happened? What are some things that have changed and have moved us um, a little bit higher up? Well, we have a we have a Supreme Court um, challenge that is going to be heard now uh, about protecting sources, yep. um, and you know if we get a positive decision from our point of view, a positive decision on that, I think that that's a big plus. Um, because as I said, journalists should not be the investigative arm of the police. Um, you know, it, it would be great to see a new government or, or existing government that comes back after the fall election commit to deeper and, and, uh, and more meaningful reforms to access to information. That would, that would help. And I guess, uh, you know, just a, a broad willingness of the of the authorities out there to um, recognize that that you know there are a lot of threats to press freedom, and they need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So, if people want to uh, read more of your work, they they can get themselves a nice Global Mail subscription. Thank you. Um, Journalism I, is not free. Absolutely. Um, and if people want to follow up with the Canadian Committee for World Press Freedom, learn about this year's winner, um, you run a fantastic political cartoon uh, yeah, awards, great. which are, is it's incredible. Um, where can they do that? Uh, we do have a, a website, um, Canadian Committee for World Press Freedom. Um, Google it, I guess. Google it. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> it's too long to uh, to have it memorized. We have a Facebook page, yeah, uh, and we intend to be more active. It's a volunteer committee. It's it's uh, some of our communications efforts uh, leave something to be desired because everybody's working a full time job at the same time. But um, we we uh, are hoping to uh, to expand that outreach. Well, Sean, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking some time to chat with me today. And uh, uh, I know it's a little bit early, but uh, happy World Press Freedom Day. Thank you. Quality content is hosted by me, Alex Patterson. My producer today was Sarah Turnbull, and my editor is Olivia Levesque. The 2020 Network is presented by Interac and is a production of Canada 2020, Canada's leading independent progressive think tank. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps more curious and engaged listeners like yourselves find us. You can also send me feedback directly, either on Twitter at Alex G. Patterson or by email at alex at canada2020.ca. Now, as always, some event notices, starting first and absolutely foremost with the news that Canada 2020 will be hosting President Barack Obama in Ottawa on May 31st. The 44th president of the United States makes his return to Canada 2020 stage, and we couldn't be more excited about the opportunity to bring a truly generation-defining political leader back to Canada. Tickets are on sale now at Canada2020.ca or directly through Ticketmaster. And if you're thinking that you want to be there, I encourage you not to think about it too long, as tickets are going quicker than I've seen tickets go. Next, we have some free event programming in Canada 2020 studio space in Ottawa starting this week with important conversations about connectivity and 5G, as well as Indigenous economic reconciliation and national pharmacare. All the details are available at Canada2020.ca. 
Finally, I'd like to plug our amazing project, No Second Chances, where we're charting the rise and fall of Canada's 12 female first ministers. Our senior fellow, Kate Graham, has been exploring their journeys. And if you want to listen to some truly powerful stories about women in leadership, subscribe to No Second Chances wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that's it for me. Until next time. Interact helps Canadians access funds their way. Products like Interact Debit and Interact eTransfer have made money mobile, taking it from the confines of traditional banking and ushering it into the digital age. As consumers adapt to new technology, so does Interact. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.